The word of God to us this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the, day, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteous, righteousness dwells. Amen. Well, indeed, beloved, these have been and they are strange times. Since March, I do believe, when we first began to go into a quarantine and go strictly to online services, we've been in a series of sermons on the Psalms, Psalms for the season, which interrupted our time in Second Peter. But by God's grace, this morning, once again, as the Lord would have it, we find ourselves back in Second Peter. Now, believe it or not, beloved, when I began to look at this and go back and see that we are back in Second Peter, I had to remember what we were doing. I had to remember where we were. It seems like such a long time ago. A lot has happened since we were in Second Peter. A lot has happened in our world and in our church. A lot of things have changed. Tanisha Goddard isn't Tanisha Goddard anymore. Levi and Shamara got married. George Floyd died. So did John Lewis. A lot has happened in our world. It seems every day things change. And yet as I go back and look with you this morning at Second Peter, I am reminded that our God is still the same. Whatever has happened in our world, his promises are true. Second Peter chapter 2, chapter 3 rather, verses 8 through 13 have been read in our hearing. We're actually going to be looking just at verses 8 and 9 actually this morning. But they have been read and I, that's all right sister, we're gonna, we'll come back to it next week. 
you read very well. And we're just going to look at 8 and 9 this morning. We'll come back around to that if the Lord would have it next week. But let us pray that the word that is read would be effectual in our hearts as we go to the Lord, his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a good God who desires and delights to be in the midst of his people, who dwell in the midst of us to bring about your will, to manifest your glory. We pray now, as your spirit dwells within this place and in our hearts, that he indeed would make the word effectual so that we would see Jesus, that we would hear Jesus, that we would worship Jesus, that Christ would be all in all. This morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the name Bertrand Russell might be familiar to some of you. He was a prominent British philosopher and mathematician in the 20th century. He was a professor at Cambridge in England and was regarded as one of the preeminent atheistic thinkers in the world. In fact, he was decidedly anti-Christian and anti-religion. And as such, he once gave a lecture which eventually became an essay, a popular essay entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. And in this essay, um, Mr. Russell listed several reasons for his rejection of Christianity. And one of the reasons that he gave was what he called the defects in Christ's teaching. And according to Mr. Russell, quote, Jesus thought that his second coming would occur before the death of all the people who were living at the time. Russell suggested then that when Jesus said, take no thought, for the morrow, it was because he, Jesus, thought that the second coming was going to be very soon and that all other mundane affairs did not count. Russell erroneously and fortunately, tragically impugned the character of Christ. He impugned the character of Christ because, beloved, he failed to understand the nature of God's Word. He failed to understand the nature and the character of God's promises, and in particular, the nature and the character of biblical prophecy. And yet, this type of thinking, this, this type of reasoning, or, or you might say lack of thinking or lack of reasoning, was not unique to Bertrand Russell in the middle of the 20th century. Long before Russell scoffed at God's word and the integrity of, of Jesus, the Bible tells us here in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the apostle Peter heard similar accusations. 
that the apostle Peter was having to answer similar questions from scoffers in his day, as the Bible reminds us, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. So when Peter wrote his second letter to the church, in fact, this was one of his main points, beloved. He wanted to remind us of the faithfulness of Christ. He wanted to encourage us to keep on believing. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing in the faithfulness of Christ's life. Don't stop believing in the faithfulness of Christ's words. He wanted, therefore, to encourage the faithfulness of Christ's followers. And so we see, and so this is what we see this morning in our text. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, Peter knew and Peter warned, didn't he, that in the last days there would be scoffers. There would be the Bertrand Russells of the world. There would be scoffers, because what do scoffers do? Scoffers scoff. That's what they do. And yet God's word to us here this morning is reminding us that the scoffers who think they stand in judgment over Jesus will find, beloved, that it is Jesus who stands in judgment over them. And this is important. Because essentially what these scoffers were doing were they were accusing Jesus of being ignorant. Of lacking knowledge and understanding. They were accusing Jesus of being inconsistent. They accused Jesus of lacking integrity. And, and, and since Jesus lacked integrity, they were accusing his followers of lacking wisdom. And understanding for following him. And yet Peter here wrote to the church to remind us, even this morning, not to be dismayed by their fallacious arguments. Don't be discouraged by the skepticism of the skeptics. For these foolish men overlook some very important points. These foolish men miss some important facts that must not be lost on us. In fact, Peter begins in verse 8 by saying, the beloved must not overlook these facts. There are some important facts that we must not miss, even as we listen to the scoffers. And he calls them again the beloved. The beloved must not overlook these things, like he did in verse 1 
of chapter 3 here in verse 8, Peter reminds us to whom he is writing, right? He is addressing the beloved. He is addressing the precious ones, the dear ones of God. He is talking here to his brothers and his sisters. He is writing to us, to those who are called and, and chosen, the ones that Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15 says that God has set his affection upon. These, it's the ones to whom he writes, the ones to whom he talks this morning. And why is this important? It is important because it is, we should understand that Peter here is not writing to the scoffers. He is not writing to the mockers. It is not to the Bertrand Russells of the world that he seeks to give this word. But he wanted to encourage and reassure the saints. Don't let the world and human philosophy discourage you and cause you to doubt the promises of God. Don't let the cynics cause you to be cynical about God's word or God's plan for your life. There are a couple things that they fail to grasp. There are some important facts that they fail to understand. Beloved, we're talking about facts this morning. Facts. Can somebody say facts? Facts. We're dealing with facts. And fact number one, that Peter would say, to Bertrand Russell and all the scoffers, fact one, the Lord is not late. The Lord is not late. Notice what the scoffers were saying, right? In verse, in verse 4, chapter 3. Notice what the scoffers were saying. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? What happened to that promise? And yet Peter is saying, it may seem like the Lord is delayed or that the Lord is held up. It may seem like the Lord is late, but you overlook one important fact. It's important, beloved. It's important that you keep your perspective. It's important that you understand and look at the world rightly. So you don't get caught up in what you read on Instagram. You don't get caught up in what you hear on NPR or what you see on Fox News. Remember what God's Word says. Everyone has their own perspective, but the only perspective that really matters is God's. And what is God's perspective? But Peter says this is God's perspective. Verse 8, with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You got to get the right perspective on things. You got to understand how the Lord sees things. Then the right perspective is God's perspective. And Peter asserts this, not because Peter made it up, but Peter here is quoting directly from the word of God himself. In Psalm 90, in verse 4, the Bible says, For a thousand years in your sight 
are but as yesterday when it is past. Beloved, for God, a thousand years ago is as clear to him as yesterday is to you and me. Now most of us, most of us can recall pretty clearly what we did yesterday. That is, unless it was accompanied by some libations and an overuse. But most of us can recall pretty clearly what we did yesterday. In fact, we have a saying, right? We have a saying that says, oh, I remember that like it was yesterday. Well, all of history is like yesterday to God. All of it, beloved. And tomorrow will be the same. This is an important principle of the Christian life that must never be forgotten. And that is this. God's timing is not often our timing. God's timing is not often our timing because God's timing is eternal. God has eternity in view. That's what it says in Psalm 90 and verse 2. God is everlasting to everlasting. He is the everlasting God. And when it comes to God's promises and when it comes to God's words, we must always remember that. God is not just concerned by the here and now, beloved. God has eternity in mind. And that is hard for us. Oftentimes we can forget this because we get so caught up in the immediate. And because we get so caught up in what is immediately happening in front of us today, we lose sight of God's word and often fail to trust in God's promises because we are so immediate gratification driven. Because we get so caught up in cancel culture that we get distracted and forget that the posture of God's people is the posture of waiting. Wait on the Lord. That's what the Bible says over and over again. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37 and 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. He will look on when the wicked are cut off. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 130 and verse 5. I wait for the Lord, the psalmist says. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Why? Why does the Bible over and over again call on God's people to wait on the Lord? Well, he answers that question for us in Isaiah 40 and verse 31. Because they that wait upon the Lord 
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. This is hard to grasp. This is hard to grasp in our times. And beloved, if anything is ever spiritually discerned, it is this, waiting on the Lord. And those who have not the Spirit of God cannot understand waiting on the Lord. It is hard to grasp, but it is crucial to understand that God doesn't move at our pace. And God doesn't march to our drums. John chapter 11, we have the, the account of the death of Lazarus. And Mary and Martha accused Jesus of being late. Accused him of being late in coming to see about their brother Lazarus. In fact, in John 11 and 32, Mary said, Lord, if you had better timing, my brother would still be alive. And yet, <laughs> beloved, Jesus was teaching them, and he's teaching us an important principle this morning, and it is this. Just because he hasn't shown up doesn't mean he's not coming. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. And just because you can't feel him doesn't mean he's not working. Doesn't mean he's not moving. God is always moving. God is always working, beloved. You, you've heard it said, and I've heard it said, that time stops for no one. Well, neither does God. God doesn't stop. God doesn't stop working. God doesn't stop moving. He is always moving. He is always on time. He is an on-time God. Yes, he is. Did you hear what I said? He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And if Daddy Peoples were here this morning, she'd tell you that he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time because he's an on-time God, and somebody ought to say, yes, he is. This is the perspective of God. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And Peter says, you tell him, this is the fact. He may not come when you want him, but when he comes, he's right on time. Because he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. God is not late. Fact two, the Lord is long-suffering. See that in verse 9, right? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. The Lord is not being slow, Peter says here as some people accuse him or understand or perceive slowness. 
but rather God is patient. And it is easy to mistake patience for slowness. When you think of patience, <clears throat> we usually think about waiting, right? That's what we think. When you think about patience, you think about waiting. You go in the doctor's office, you go in the dental office, and what do you usually find in there? Patience. And why are they call patience? Because they wait. Because they're waiting. When the Bible says God is patient, however, what it means, literally what it means is God is long-suffering, which I think the King James got that right. Right? The Lord is patient. Well, the Lord really is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Long-suffering is more descriptive, I think. For it doesn't mean that God is just waiting. Long-suffering is God's willingness to endure with the unpleasant. One commentator put it this way, patience is what we must have when computers don't work. Long-suffering is what we must have when people don't work. God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering with the unrepentant. The fact, the fact, beloved, and this is the fact, that God does not move in judgment with one mass sweep of his right hand this day is a demonstration of his patience and long-suffering to unbelieving, rebellious sinners. That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 9, verse 22. God endures with much patience and long-suffering those who refuse his grace. Much patience and long-suffering. Even those who mock Jesus for not coming don't realize that his not coming is mercy and kindness to them. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 reminds us that it is this kindness that it is this goodness that is designed to lead men and women to repentance. And the Lord not coming today is a demonstration of his kindness, his compassion, his patience and long-suffering toward rebellious sinners. And so you think about this this morning, beloved. Think about this this morning. If you are saved this morning, if you did not die in your sins before coming to faith in Jesus, then you owe it all to the patience, long-suffering, love, and mercy of God. He is long-suffering with the unrepentant. But he is not just long-suffering with the unrepentant, beloved. He is long-suffering towards the beloved. He is long-suffering toward us. He is long-suffering toward his disobedient children. Thankfully, 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 God's patience does not end once you get saved. Hallelujah. In fact, it is even more so to those who are his beloved. Psalm 103, verse 8. 
The Bible says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever, for he does not <clears throat> treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Like a loving father, God endures with the unpleasantness and the ungratefulness of his children. He is in no hurry to judge you. He delights in our repentance and he gives us plenty of space to do so. Over and over again, over and over again. He is patient. He has compassion. He doesn't deal with you and me as our sins deserve. And yet, unfortunately, we are not as patient with God. Even as God is patiently working out our lives for his glory and his good. We are like little children in the back seat on this long road trip of life. And every five minutes we're asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Lord, I need a new job. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Lord, I want a wife. Lord, I want a husband. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Lord, I want my church to grow. I want my ministry to expand. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Lord, I want my children saved. Are we there yet? Lord, I want this coronavirus over today. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Beloved, trust, trust, trust me. The Lord knows more about it than you do. In fact, the Lord cares more about it than you do. He knows what time it is. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows. And though the Lord gets heavy, so heavy, Trust me, trust me. You're never left alone. Alone to bear it all. For the Lord knows. And he cares. And he knows just how much you can bear. Because he bears it with you. The Lord is patient. The Lord is long-suffering toward you. And beloved, that's a fact. Fact! The Lord is not late. 
the Lord is long-suffering. Fact number three, the Lord doesn't want anyone lost. These are facts, beloved. We're talking about facts this morning. Verse 9. The Lord is long-suffering, patient, because he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is what the scoffers fail to realize. The reason, the reason the Lord has not returned it's because there are yet sheep not in the fold. The reason the Lord has not returned is because there is yet grace to be had. There is yet mercy to be found. The reason the Lord has not returned is because today is not the day of judgment. Today is the day of salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 2, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I help you, I tell you, now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. The reason why the Lord has not returned is because today is not the day of judgment. Today is the day of salvation. You have people marching in the streets. Some of you may have been doing it. Marching in the streets today, hollering, what do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. Well, beloved, that may be good for the streets. And that may work down at the courthouse. But you better be very careful when you speak in the God words like that. But thankfully, now is not the time of God's justice. Now is the time of forgiveness. Now, today is the day of grace. Today is the age of mercy. And therefore, beloved, in one sense, don't you want that age to extend as long as possible? There are people yet to save. In one sense, in one sense then, we can thank God for Christ's delay. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. Okay, don't misunderstand me. Yes, yes, yes. We want the Lord to return. And so we pray. We pray. And according to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come deliver me from this body of sin. Come deliver us from the corruption of this world. Lord Come, come quickly, Lord, come. But if the Lord tarries another day, if the Lord tarries another year, let us not criticize him for delaying. Let us not murmur and groan because he's delaying, but let us thank him because he's merciful. Let us thank him because he's gracious. These are the facts. The Lord is coming. Fact. And that is a fact as sure as the fact that he came the first time. And the Lord is coming 
And the fact is, when the Lord came the first time, no one expected him to come like that. And when he comes again, no one's going to be expecting him to come like that. Fact. The Lord came and he died on a cross. And no one expected him to die like that. And the fact is, is when he comes again, nobody's expecting him to come like that. Fact. That on the third day, he rose again from the grave. And nobody expected him to rise like that. And when he comes again, nobody's expecting him to come like that. Those are the facts. Until the Lord comes, place your faith in the facts, beloved. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his promises. He came once. He said he's coming again. And he is not delaying. He is right on time. Those are the facts. Put your faith in the facts and trust the Lord and the Lord is coming he's coming again let's pray